Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Agile 2018. We're doing podcast interviews all week long, so if you can't be here, you can get a sense of what kinds of things are happening. And right now, Erica Lentz and Michelle Slager here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. And you did your talk this morning, mm -hmm. and I'm going to look at the title because it's long and complicated. <laughs> Verbal Agility Facilitation Tips and Techniques. Not that long. How was it? It was great. It was our first time pair facilitating. Okay. Which, um, and there were lots of discoveries as we went. So that discoveries was, for you as well as people in the audience. Or? Yes, I mean okay. when you when you pair facilitate, you find out all sorts of things about someone that you didn't know. And I, what I know is that Michelle can really work a room. Yes. So, <laughs> that was <laughs> lovely to get to um, be up there with. Everyone's gonna think you're on medication if you don't say something. Do you want to add anything? <laughs> No, I, I agree with everything she has said. <laughs> All right. And, um, you know, what I got some good feedback on is that a lot of people really like the fact that every time I screwed up, I said, woohoo, I screwed up again. Because after doing this for, you know, going on two decades here, if you screw up, it's easier just to say, hey, I screwed this up. Yeah. How awesome. Thanks for teaching me this. And but you're also modeling the behavior that you want them to. That I want them to feel safe. And yeah. whenever they screw up, they just go, woohoo, we all screwed up. Yeah, we yeah. learned some stuff. Okay. So that was fun. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, I know you talk about self-organizing teams and self-organization in the session. How do you define that? Because one of the things that happens in my classes is people come in with very strange understandings of what self-organization is supposed to mean. So what's yeah. your take on it? You want me to take that one, or do you want to start? I want I want you to start, but I want to. And then you. In. All right. Because yeah. I so they're mimicking the behavior right now. <laughs> so <laughs> need like little pop-up videos. <laughs> we get all meta. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to say that there's essentially I can't remember if it's three or four things, but first, in order for a team to self-organize, they have to have a goal. Okay. Right and. Well, you have to have a team first. In other words, the goal has to be something that you could not achieve as an individual working by yourself. Okay. You need the other you need people. You need each other. Now you've got a team, and now you have a goal that you're trying to achieve. And so that goal has to be clearly understood by everybody. Okay. Then, once you got that, they need the tools in order to achieve that goal. And they have to understand the boundary conditions. So what do you mean by that? Um, if there's any time limitations, contractual obligations, regulatory requirements. Okay. So they have to understand items like that, what their boundary conditions are within to accomplish this goal. Okay. And then finally they have to feel safe. Because if they don't feel safe, the team can dissolve into dysfunctional behavior or worse yet, it just derails them from achieving their goal and bringing up issues. Okay. So self-organization has to have all of those things, in my opinion. In our talk, the paper that we handed out for folks, which you can download from the website, we the Agile add Alliance. To this. Oh, no, well, if you're members. Yo, if you're not members, then I can give you a copy for Leading Agile. Okay, so we'll, we'll add that in later. Mm -hmm. And the very first page is about a dozen different definitions from different people about what a self-organizing team is. Yeah. Because to your point, people come in with different ideas about what it is. So we've just cited several, and I've just given you mine. What do, what do you think? So I think what's important about what you're saying, I thought this in the room today, and I'm thinking it again as I'm listening to each 
Talk is that this is a recipe for self-organization. These are the things that need to be provided to the team for them to self-organize. I think I've seen a lot of people get wrapped around the axle on defining self-organization. But self-organization is something that humans naturally do, given the right circumstances. Okay. I would say kids naturally do it. Adults in the workforce have been taught not to do it. They don't. They have a lot of unlearning. Until, yeah, maybe, or maybe they just need permission. Okay. Which is different than and unlearning, safety. right? I think I, I get a little reactive about this language about you know changing people. Whatever it is, whether right. it's unlearning or controlling them or holding them accountable, I mean, there's a lot of sure. language that happens in the that workplace. That creates barriers, right? And, and in my experience, if you can get real trust with people, that's based on real mutual respect, okay. and um, and leaning in and taking the time to get to understand what your team is about and who they are as individuals and. Um, if you throw this recipe at them, it happens. Okay. Um, with the exception of you know some personality disorder you've got in the room or something like that. But but if you're talking about 90% of the population, okay. people will just do it. I have been to many organizations where an executive hearing your first part, which are look, you you're a team. Here's your goal. Here's your date. And. You're going to be safe as long as you hit the goal by the gate. <laughs> you tell them right? you're tell safe. Tell them that yeah. they're safe. Yeah, that, that, that's the first problem. Yeah. yeah. So that goes back to the trust thing. And in an environment like that, if I'm a manager, how do I be in, even have a capacity to create trust? Because if the whole thing is based on accountability, meaning you do this or you're fired, how do you start to foster trust there? I mean, maybe that's too big of a question, but are there any suggestions for how to start? By becoming trustworthy? I mean, I, well, I don't no, need to be... No, that's a big part of it. Right. I, there, there's a lot of good literature out there on how it's to build trust, speed of trust. trust and, really um, sense of it. But I, th I think it's a little more primal than that. I think okay. if you show up and you are fundamentally a trustworthy person with your team, meaning you're not talking about them behind their back, um, you're actually coming to them and having an honest conversation if something's happening that's not working. Um, you can take a failure bow. Take a failure bow. Yeah, being vulnerable and silly is a huge way to create trust. And I watched people in the room, Michelle's up there going about taking failure bows, and I'm watching them mimic her behavior instantly. Strangers mimicking her behavior instantly. I mean, people are hungry to be trusted. Yeah. And um, and so you offer it up, and at the risk of sounding really cheesy, magic happens. You think that you just said they're hungry to be trusted, and I yes, and the jaded part of my brain is thinking and afraid to trust at the same time. Yes, and but you can't have one without the other, right? I I think. Well, safety doesn't mean a lack of danger. Okay. All right. Right. So when we we want people to feel safe, because that leads to vulnerability, which leads to more open sharing and honesty, which leads eventually to trust. Right. right? So, it in our workshop, it, we were 
hopefully trying to help people as facilitators see different things that they could do to establish that safe environment. And when we talk about safe, we mean safe to say, I don't understand, or I need help, uh, safe to fail, the failure about, safe to share and be open and honest. Um, and getting there, if you don't have a work culture that supports yeah. that, then it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. Okay. And that's if it ever happens, because right. sometimes the cultural barriers can be too strong. If people feel that whatever they say is going to lead to them getting fired or laid off, I, it, they really need to see a failure happen with no one getting fired or failed, or, or, fired or laid off before they say, oh, okay, this happened and no one got fired, maybe it's okay. And then they start to come out of their shell a little. But it takes time. It doesn't do happen overnight. they also have to acknowledge that maybe I'm in an environment where I don't have all the safety I need to whatever, but acknowledge that I am choosing to work here. It's my choice to be here. It's my choice to be in this environment. If I want it to change and I'm going to stick it out, I have to extend myself maybe first. Okay. Yes. I mean, it, it, it depends on the individual person, though. And for okay. some people, it's just simply scary to extend themselves in that way. Or maybe okay. they have a mortgage they have to pay, or they're locked into this particular job in some way. Okay. Um, so I, I hesitate to make it a problem that someone's not extending themselves in, a, in an unsafe environment. Um, which is okay. kind of a corollary to everybody's hungry for it, but yeah. but I think it's a big ask to yeah, ask someone I, I, to step I, up. I, I was you going more after the, the, the yeah. thing where people are feeling victimized by working in an environment where they don't have the sense of safety without acknowledging that, that they may have a mortgage or whatever, but they're still the person showing up. They play a part in it. Yeah. What about, I know you talked about listening stuff in your session. Can you, so we hit on the standard things, reflective listening, um, or asking questions for clarification. Um, body language. Body language. And so it's, of course, a core facilitation skill and a team skill. So what about the body language? Is it mirroring, or is there... Is it just being aware of it? We didn't talk about that, but that's... We, yeah, we didn't do it specifically. We just had an exercise where we said, take a minute, pair off, and one person speak pa about something they're passionate about, and the other person needed to make it really obvious and clear that they were totally uninterested. So I feel free to express yourself however that comes out. And then we did another exercise where we said, now really care care about what they're saying and see how that changes and okay. then we let them debrief about what it was and there's the usual things like if you act like you're uninterested you're doing this but if you act like you care you do things like you lean forward yeah. you ask questions you make eye contact okay. so we let them debrief and we hope that they came to those same types of conclusions based on the experiment they did okay are there are there other tools that you guys presented to them i mean i know that was one of the big takeaways well, I had the opportunity to talk about my absolute favorite one for oh, cool. dealing with pontificators, and I believe credit needs to go to Jean Tobacco for this and Collaboration Explained. 
um, but it's something I picked up very early in my career and have used ever since to great effect. And it's very simple. If someone is is pontificating or taking over a meeting, um, you can use your body to break the eye contact that they have that in part is keeping them talking. So they're talking, the whole room is looking at them, and that's a feedback loop. So depending on how the room is formed, um, you can maybe step in between them, but it's actually especially effective if everybody's sitting at a table to walk behind them and stand behind their chair. <laughs> with your head above their head, everybody breaks eye contact with them and looks at you, and um, they're forced to take a break, essentially, because they know that something has happened that they may not be aware of. And then you can you can insert a question, um, asking them to summarize or redirecting to someone else. You'd probably do this with like a team member, but not like the president of your company. It would depend on the day. Okay. I guess I'm a little shameless, but. <laughs> Well, but so that's important. Though. I think that when you practice these techniques, you get to a point where you can probably find a way to get up from the table and do that without being like. Well, yes, it, that's presuming I'm already standing. It would need to be a okay. very soft delivery of this. Not just like get um, up and. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the back of their chair, shake it. Stand there and go. No. Like, That'd probably be what I would yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it has to. It has to be extremely soft, or it okay. becomes rude. Yeah. But if you're just playing around with body language and where people are looking in the room, just so you can get a breath, okay. so you can insert a question, then then it's very delicate. And if you do it with a big smile on your face, then all better. Okay. So since you brought that up, I want to ask you a question. One of the things that I used to do with meetings, like that became like a thing for me, related to body language, was I would study the different people's body language and their communication patterns, and I would rearrange where they sat. So that if somebody was, we had one guy who was to put the steeple his fingers and look down at everyone, and I'd always put him in the middle of the table, and I'd put the really aggressive person next to somebody else who could diffuse them. And did you ever? Did you have like little nameplates? I would walk into their seat. You would walk into their seat. Oh, yeah. and I bet that felt very kind. While you were doing it, it's nobody, like I'm so glad to see you. I've saved the seat nobody, right here for no, you. Did you push in their chairs for them? No, but nobody ever asked about it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, That's so awesome, Dave. <laughs> creating safety for myself. Yeah, there um, you go. I mean, if you, but I'm amazed yes, you were able to choreograph that. I'm gonna have to try. I know. Yeah. I want to try it's that. It's really now. fun. But and there, there was another broken window shade, so the one guy would sit him facing the sun every time. So and put somebody who scared him across from them, so he couldn't do anything. But. You know, that's not, I mean, that's more manipulative, but... Well, it reminds me of the, um, the containers research by, what was her name? Oh, Yang. Um, Mike Cohn does a presentation on it. I, Sorry. Anyway, um, just playing around with the boundaries and containers on a team to see how they evolve within a different environment. Okay. So I, th I think it's fair, as long as they weren't mad at you for They had no them. idea. Yeah. I was really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. You have some mad skills. That's great. Cool. All right. So if they want to find out more, you can go to ericalens.com. Yep. Or I don't even remember your URL. Sliderconsulting.com. And at Michelle Slider. And at Erica underscore L underscore Lens. Yes. Yes. Cool. And we're so going to give you we're going to give you that okay. notes. Okay. 
So you can put that on your leading edge site wherever you like cool. to correspond with this, and people can download it from there. All right. Thank you, Mr. Reed. Yeah, thank nice you for having you. us. Nice to meet you. Thank A pleasure you as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that's it. So right. we'll be back very soon with another interview. Keep watching all week. So if you can't be at the Agile Conference, we're going to try to give you a sense of what's going on with the folks that are here. Uh, thanks.